TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. And now, you're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. It's been a while, but we're very pleased that Rabbi Mark Wiles joins us. He is the founder of the Manhattan Jewish Experience over 22 years ago, going strong He's able to bring back a lot of people to their Jewish roots, especially young people. Their specialty is full confession. My wife, Adina, also is part of the staff of MJE. So in the matter of our disclosure, under the FCC rules and regulations, we have to disclose that. He's here with us because he's written a fascinating new book called The 40-Day Challenge, Daily Jewish Insights to Prepare for the High Holidays. It's his second book. Right, Mark Walsh, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for being here, and it is an honor working with Dr. Adina. She's amazing. Yes, I agree. And thank you for being <laughs> here with us as well. So tell us, what motivated you to write a book about the Jewish High Holidays and really to start 40 days before the Jewish High Holiday season? So I'll tell you, I, I've been leading High Holiday Services for over 25 years, and uh, MG gets, I mean, even COVID, we had uh, close to 400 people. We usually get five to 600 people. And I find that, you know, it is that once-in-a-year experience uh, for many Jews in America. And even if you're coming to shul every Shabbos, it still isn't what it could be because I feel that people are not prepared. We sort of show up on Rosh Hashanah. We show up on Yom Kippur, and we expect some sort of magic to take place. And we're often disappointed. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we blame it. We didn't like the tunes the Chazen chose. We didn't like the sermon the rabbi gave. But we have to look inside and ask ourselves, what could we personally, individually be doing differently to prepare for this day so that when the day comes and when the season arrives, we're in a, we're in a, a, a spiritual place to be able to receive the blessings that this season can give us and, and that the prayers can offer. You know, there's a great line Rabbi Salvechik said that uh, there can be no Kedusha without Hachana. There can be no sanctity or holiness without preparation. And I wonder, you know, if anyone who's listening to this, has there anything in your life been meaningful and purposeful and, and magnificent that, that you didn't prepare for, right? If it's an important meeting, if it's a, a proposal to that, you know, romantic person we want to, you know, ask to, ma- we, we don't just, we don't just show up, we prepare. So I wrote this book to help Jewish people, whatever their background is, prepare by reading just like, a five-minute excerpt of Torah with a challenge question to personalize that message. And if I believe if you do this for 40 days, that when Yom Kippur comes, we'll be in a different place. He has some great ideas we'll get to in just a moment. Does this mean I can only read the book before Rosh Hashanah? I can't read it after Yom Kippur? <laughs> so it is designed for the 40 days between Rosh Chodesh Elo and Yom Kippur. But the insights, particularly the first 20, they really, they're not related per se to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, High Holidays. They're just self-growth ideas that I think um, can help us all year round. So it's a book for all year round as well. So really, because it makes us better people, so you want to be a better person before the Jewish New Year, but really the same principles apply all year long. So in today's age, Rabbi Wiles, I don't have to tell you, you live in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. We're seeing a whole different kind of culture, cancel culture, world culture, people not being nice to one another. There's bickering. There's hatred. So how do we get along better with each other? It's a good for the Jewish name, but also all year round. How do we 
put aside our differences and work together from a Jewish so I, I it's it's a really great question and it's so relevant today. I have so many students on Facebook just sort of defriending their people with whom they disagree. Um, uh, Democrats are not dating Republicans. Republicans won't even look at Democrats. It's like liberals and conservatives were at each other's throats. We got to take a chill pill. We got to breathe a little. And as I write in the book, we have to play the ball, not the person. When I say play the ball, when I used to play basketball, my coach always said, when you're, when you're taking somebody who's got the ball, keep your eye on the actual ball, not the person. Person can do all sorts of crazy things. But the ball, and the ball here is the issue. If you have an issue with a friend or a colleague, then discuss the issue, battle the issue, respectfully have an exchange, but don't personalize it. You know, and you see this throughout the Talmud. The Talmud, you have these rabbis going at it against each other on the issue, but on a personal level, they were friends, they were colleagues. It always says when Hillel and Shammai argued with each other, it never says Hillel or Shammai. It always says Beit Hillel, the school of Hillel, or Beit Shammai, the school of, of Shammai, because personally, they were colleagues, they were friends, their children married each other. And they were able to, to somehow argue, debate, be on opposite sides of very important issues, both legally and philosophically, and still manage to respect each other and to live side by side. And we have to figure out how to do that. We have to figure out in our society how to debate issues discuss them reasonably and intelligently, and still be friends and respect the other person. Play the ball, not the person. It's a great metaphor. And as you were speaking, Rabbi Walsh, I was thinking that today we, we look at what we consider a flaw in somebody, and we tend to negate the whole person based on it. So if you're yeah. a Republican, a Democrat, liberal, conservative, whatever it is, and a reminder of a teaching from the Kutzker Rebbe on the Parsha of Bullock, where King Balak, he hired Bilaam the prophet, and he wanted Bilaam to look at only at an edge of the pe- at, a, at a slice of the people. What's so relevant that he has to look at a slice of the people? Why does the Torah tell us that? And the answer the Kusker gives, if you look at, a, at only a slice of a person, or a slice of a nation, I should say, you're going to find fault. This one does there's this wrong, that wrong. But if you look at the entire picture, you'll see that the good outweighs the bad. And that's the same thing we say in Pirkei Avos, the ethics of our fathers. We say you should have to don the call Adam the cops. Of course, we have to merit each person to be in a meritorious way. But it, it doesn't only mean that. You have to look at the whole person, that part oh, of the person. Beautiful, and beautiful. And that fits in what you're saying. I'm not, that's what you're teaching them. Oh, it. it's, so, it's, it's such a beautiful teaching. You said that some, the Kutzker and the Havedanis call Adam. you got to look at the whole person. If you focus and zero in on what that your friend just said that annoyed you, of course you're going to be upset. But if you pull the lens back and you can somehow look at the totality of the individual, we can see that there are so many things we have in common that we can love about each other as we vehemently disagree on very core and important issues. That we have to get this right because I just find also it's hard enough to bring Jews back to their Jewish roots. But it makes it more difficult if people think if you're a religious Jew, you must be a right winger. You must be conservative. You must be, uh, you know, a, a Republican. Oh, I don't feel comfortable there, so I'm not going to come. And that's why, MG, we stay out of politics. But I want people to know that we have lefties, we have righties, we have people in the middle, and we're one community, we're one people, we're a small people. We can't afford to splinter ourselves any further. Absolutely. Now, uh, uh, it's interesting that you ch- decide to choose Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. You say people come to shul. 
I'm trying to think, do people, more people attend the service or get religious-oriented Rosh Hashanah or Pesach with the Seder? Mm-hmm. There are more Jews technically that go, oh, that the attend the Seder, a Passover Seder. And I, I would say, I think the Seder is number one. I think I think Yom Kippur is two. Um, you know, and I, I would say just anecdotally from my own, I've been doing this 25 years, we get five, 600 people. The biggest crowds we get are Kol Nidre night and then the Ila at the end of the Yom Kippur, you know, before the breakfast. Um, that's when a lot of our Jewish brothers and sisters seem to come out of the woodwork. And But I think it's very, very important. You know, we can get a little cynical and, and, and say, hey, they're not really serious. They're just showing up once or twice a year. You know, I heard this from Rav Shechter, one of my teachers at Yeshiva University, and he said that on Yom Kippur, what's happening, and this is based on the teachings of Rav Soloveitchik, there's not only an individual type of atonement going on, what's called kaparas hayachid, but also a kaparas hatzibor, a communal atonement. And the communal atonement is just a question of demonstrating you're identified with the broader community. And when a Jew shows up on the high holidays, it's their way of saying, I'm counting myself amongst the Jewish people. Even though they may not have showed up much the rest of the year, and we can get a little cynical about that, obviously we want to change that, but... But it does demonstrate that this person views themselves as part of the Klal, as part of the Jewish people, and as a result, says Rav Salvechik, they can gain a communal atonement. Individual atonement can only happen through the painstaking process of tshuva, of recognizing where we have gone wrong, apologizing, resolving to do better for the future. Rabbi uh, Leo Young of Blessed Memory had, he used to call it the three R's, recognition of sin, uh, remorse, feeling a sense of uh, remorse and shame, and then uh, resolution for the future. That's on the individual level. But communally, you just have to show up. You just have to demonstrate to yourself and to your fellow Jews and, of course, to God that you consider yourself a member of the Jewish tribe. And that that is enough, actually, for the communal atonement. Now, this whole book is written to help people get the other aspects the individual to grow spiritually on an individual level so i hope people take advantage of that no it's a great book and by the way when you were talking it is a with their safety in numbers so if you're part of a group there's it's it's looked more favorably upon in judaism but you i reminded of a story of a rabbi when you were speaking rabbi wilds he mm-hmm. was talking yom kippur he said i want to announce what the next service is going to be and he goes next service rosh hashanah 5 50 p.m because he figured that's the next time he's going to see most <laughs> of the people in the shul but we're, we're, we're looking to get people inspired all year round which is what you do oh, a great yeah. job with mje you have a chapter called living as angels how do we live as angels in today's day and age Wow. So, first of all, it's all about the daily activities. I'm a big believer in developing the right habits. And um, the way you believe, you, you wake up in the morning and we express gratitude to God for being alive by reciting the Moda'ani, and we pray and we say blessings before we eat and we thank God afterwards, those daily habits develop us into the angels that we're ultimately trying to become. Now, on Yom Kippur, we dress up as angels. You think about it. You know, a lot of us look at the whole fasting thing as like a burden. But what we're really trying to do is for one day shed the physical component of who we are by not eating, by wearing white. And that's why we yell out the Baruch Shem Kavod Malchotod Ed after the Shema. The rest of the year, we say it silently because that was a prayer that Moses, we believe, heard 
when he went up to Sinai to receive the Torah, and he overheard the angels. It's an angelic formula. So once a year, we dress up, and we make believe we're angels. But that's because we need that day to look at the rest of the year so that I can live up to the best version of myself. We're supposed to become the best version of ourselves in Yom Kippur. I'll tell you a quick story. You'll appreciate this. When I went to MTA for high school, uh, my, my youngest son just graduated from there, and I had a teacher... Thank you so much. And I had a teacher. He was very. He was. He. He. He was. It was a very rigorous class. It was. About, it was the top. Uh, you know, sheer in the in the grade. And I just. I. I couldn't keep up. And I went over to the teacher, afterwards, and I complained. I said, maybe you want to put me into the B sheer. This is too much. And he said. He looked at me. and He said, Wilds. Wait, Wilds. Hold. Wait here a second. He opens up the top drawer. He pulls out this exam that I had taken. And it's got a big 100 in red on it. He says, I don't understand. What are you complaining about? You got 100 on this test. Go back to your seat. You'll be fine. And I was like, I didn't even think twice. I went back to my seat. And I just, I kept working until I, and then I realized that this Rebbe managed to give 100 to every student during the course of that year. So that every time one of his students would complain, he could pull out the 100 and go, look. What are you complaining about? You can do this. You, you got this. You got a hundred on one of my tests. And I look at Yom Kippur as a hundred. Yom Kippur is the day where we stretch ourselves further than we could ever imagine. So that the rest of the year, whenever we feel we can't do it, we want to, we want to drop down to a lower grade, another, uh, you know, another classroom where things are easier. We can look back at Yom Kippur and go, wait. This, I'm the same person who, who fasted and prayed all day. And that's why I have this additional prayer service called the Ne'ilah. Right? There's no such thing as another prayer service. We have Shacharis, Mincha, Mariv, right? And, 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 um, and then Musaf, right? Ne'ilah, once a year, we throw in another one. So just when you're feeling like you can't do it the rest of the year, you have Yom Kippur to hold up. Yom Kippur's the hundred. So Yom Kippur's you... the time we can look back so how do you inspire people? Because you mentioned the ELA, and uh, by the time the ELA comes, everybody's thinking, how fast can I get to the break fast? And the interesting, <laughs> yeah. right? Isn't that the thought is, when's the, where's the locks? Where's the bagels? And the problem is, is when you start Yom Kippur, you start saying, God, we're like angels, as you pointed out, Robert Wilds. We say, may God's glorious name be blessed. But we, when we finish Yom Kippur, when we're 25 hours as angels, we don't say it. How come? We just spent 25 hours in prayer and thinking and, and repentance. So the answer is, is you have to look where you're going. And at the beginning of Yom Kippur, we're looking, anticipating 25 hours of fasting. So we were, we're angelic. We're wearing white. We say that prayer formula, Baruch shame. By the time the Elah comes around, and Mar, we're thinking how fast we can get to the food. Our aspiration <laughs> is not that way, and that's what we don't say. It's even though we spend 25 hours in holy, uh, we're not taking it nice. with us. My question to you is, Rabbi Wiles, is how do we take that 25 hours or the 40? You have a wonderful book, 40-Day Challenge. How do we take that 40 days and incorporate that that comes part of us year-round? So I think it's, again, it's the daily activities. And I think that if, I think Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur can last longer. I wonder if we asked, Seth, if we asked a typical person, when does Yom Kippur start fading into the background of your life? You know, when do we stop? I, I feel that if it's a once uh, a year thing, and Rosh Hashanah, of course, is two days, it'll have an impact for the next couple of weeks. We'll feel a little cleaner and purer 
for the next couple of weeks. But imagine it wasn't a, a, a two, it's a three-day phenomenon. Okay, we have a Cersei made Shuva, we have the 10 days of repentance, we have extra prayers, of course. But imagine it's 40 days. See, I, I chose 40 because 40 represents transformation. In Kabbalah and in Jewish tradition, the number 40 is extremely important. We know that 40 was the amount of time that God flooded the world when the world had become corrupt because 40 is a time to transform. We know that's the amount of days that Moses stood at Sinai to receive the Torah was 40 days. We know that there are 40 seot in a mikvah. That's the, a liquid measure of water because a mikvah is also an opportunity for transformation. 40 is, you know, so by the time we get to Yom Kippur, we're, we're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to be the same people. So the answer is become different. And that doesn't happen overnight. And honestly, I don't think it can happen simply on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. I think it needs a good month. And that's why we have the month of Elul, of Anila Dodiva Dodili. I'm for my beloved, my beloved is for me. This is a month to transform ourselves. So Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is really just sort of the cap. It's really like the, the cherry on the dessert. It's not, we're not pulling all of our, I think we put too much of our eggs in, in, in the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur basket. Let's spread it out. And it's not going to be as intense. Yom Kippur is a very intense day. Right? We're in synagogue all day. We're fasting. We're wearing white. Okay, you can't live like that every day of the year. And you don't need to. But the 40 days, a little piece of Torah. And I think if you get yourself into a routine of 40, I think when Yom Kippur is over, we're just going to continue. The goal is the day after Yom Kippur. Right. And I it's put an entry after. here. It's a day after that counts more than the day of yeah. is what you do today. You have a wonderful story about a Jewish woman from Beverly Hills who went to Israel in 2015. Tell us that story. Well, this is such a beautiful um, story that um, I'm trying to actually find it. I'm holding it in the book right now. <laughs> I'll tell you, and, page 146. Oh, look at that. You see? Thank you. You've, re you've actually read this. I appreciate that. So it, it's a true story of a woman from Beverly Hills who travels to Israel uh, with her family. They rent this beautiful suite in Herzliya. Um, and when they arrived, the dining room had already closed. So they order in room service. And a young Israeli waiter shows up, and he introduces Sebas Barak. He delivers the food, and he says, listen, if you need anything else, just call down at the concierge for Barak. And the woman's husband says, Barak? By any chance, is your mother's name Orna? And the waiter says, yeah. He says, did you fight in the Gaza war last summer? And he says, yes, I, I did. How do you know? And the wife says, because I got a call to Davin to pray for Barack Ben Orna. We had your name on our refrigerator door in California. We davened for your safety every day. We prayed for Barak ben Orna may have a refuah shlema, a complete recovery. And every day I would ask myself, is he okay? Is he wounded? Did he survive the war? Is Barak ben Orna still alive? And the waiter is standing there in the doorway of the suite. He is shocked, and he breaks into tears. He's so touched. Someone 6,000 miles away is davening and praying for him to survive and to be well, to come home safely. And the husband hugs the waiter, and the two parted. And I, I just think it's such a beautiful story. And it's so relevant, because on Yom Kippur, we do all this praying. There's no day that we do more praying than Yom Kippur. But we have to pray for other people. And we know that our prayers have an impact. Sometimes we don't get to meet that, that Barak ben Orna. 
we usually don't get to meet, but we should never think that our our prayers are falling on deaf ears. God hears all of our tefillot. Salvechik explained, I said this in the chapter, that we believe God is a shomeat tefillah, that he listens attentively to our prayers. We don't always uh, know whether God's going to be mikabel tefillah, whether he's going to accept our prayers favorably. But we don't always get a yes to the, the, the things we ask God for, but we believe that Hashem listens. And I think this is a very, very beautiful idea to feel that sense of achdus and community and to daven for other people the terrible catastrophe that just took place in Miami um, that I just heard about, and we have to continue to daven for our brothers and sisters there, that they should have, a, uh, and that's really what Yom Kippur is about. It's about connecting to everyone and believing that all of that time spent in synagogue davening is not for naught. Hashem listens. Our guest is Rabbi Mark Wilds. Uh, he is the founder of Manhattan Jewish Experience, and he's written a fascinating book called The Day, The 40-Day Challenge, Daily Jewish Insights to Prepare for the High Holidays. I don't care if it's summer or winter, you can always use this book. Final question before I let you go is that one of the things that is so, what's so special about the high holidays, and I know you write about it in your book, is that we eat certain foods, wear certain clothes to evoke a certain image. So I may not feel that having honey will make me have a sweet year, but in Judaism we believe the externals influence the internals. I'd like you to amplify on that. Yeah, that's a really powerful idea in positive psychology, and and the Torah has been teaching this for many years, made famous by a statement, (coughs) after one's actions, follow one's hearts. We usually think that in order to do something, we have to, we have to, you know, the little old lady, she's crossing the street, you're busy, you're on the phone, right? I'm not really feel like, I don't feel like doing it, right? Or intellectually, maybe I'm not bought in, maybe this person is not a good person. Torah says, drop what you're doing and help the lady cross the street, and the impact will come after. After the actions follow the heart. And it's amazing because... We know that um, um, there's a great uh, uh, st- uh, song was made famous by Nat King Cole called Smile. And the song, the lyrics are, Smile though your heart is aching, smile even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by if you'll just smile. And I know it sounds very trite, but it's true. We know that we feel better internally when we do certain things externally. That's why we dress up for a simcha, for a, a, a happy occasion or for the holidays, because the way we present ourselves to other people is often the way we feel inside. And the Rambam writes this, the great Maimonides wrote that one should neither be excessively laughing and joking all the time and not walk around like the world's on your shoulders, sad or mournful, but somehow in the middle, and therefore, as, as you were quoting Ethics of Our Fathers before, to greet people with a, a positive countenance, even if you're not feeling it. And I would recommend to people listening, Davka when you're not feeling it. When you're not feeling something is when you need to um, put that smile on your face. And it's not fake because it's, it's, it's an attempt to uh, transform yourself internally by doing something externally. And that's why I believe that Judaism is mitzvah-centered. It's all about the things we do. It's about the actions we take because the actions make the person. You know, Descartes, the great French philosopher, said, I think, therefore I am. I would argue that Judaism teaches, I act, and therefore I am. Because we are the product, ultimately, of the decisions we make 
of the actions we take in life. And the more positive actions we take, the more mitzvot, the more of a smile we put on our face, the more we present ourselves positively to others, is the better we're going to feel internally. And that's really my blessing to all of us as we, I know it's still a little uh, time out, but as we get closer to the holidays, is that we adopt that those actions and make them part of our daily routine so that we can internalize them and really transform ourselves from within. Beautiful thoughts. And the fact that Talmud says better to give somebody a smile than a glass of milk, a glass of milk lasts for a few minutes, smile lasts the whole day. So it has an impact is what you're saying. And I'm thinking I'm smiling because I think that your book has tremendous impact. So may I recommend the 40-day challenge, Daily Jewish Insights to Prepare for High Holidays. But you can read it all year long. You don't have to just read it for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Dynamic Rabbi Mark Wallace, the founder of the Manhattan Jewish Experience, is with us. What's your next book going to be about? The final 40 Uh, days? (laughs) <laughs> I had enough of the 40-day. People, when they see the town, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm already on a diet. I don't need to read your book about the 40-day challenge. I said it's not about food. Um, my next book I'm working on, actually, uh, for Corin Publishing, um, is a basic Judaism book. I'm trying to write up my 25 years of basic Judaism classes, and it's, this one's going to take me a long time. I was able to pull the to knock this one out in under a year. The, the next one's going to take a little longer. It's hard balancing, you know, my work at MGE with writing, but I absolutely love to write. And I love to get, you know, sort of the Torah out there. Um, I did a great podcast, by the way, with Nissen Black, who I'm a huge fan of. And he, he wrote a great um, little blurb, which I put on top of the book. He says, sometimes we're spiritually frozen. This book will thaw you out and heat you up. So I'm <laughs> hoping that it's gonna, it, 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 it'll just warm us and get us prepared uh, for the high holidays. And if you're reading it a little earlier, because you're getting it, you know, uh, Rosh Chodesh Elo doesn't start till August 8th. So you can start it early, or you can read it in the middle of the year, because as you said beautifully, Zev, the, all of these teachings are for all year round. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is really there to inspire the entire year, not just that it's high to holiday set, well, Like you said, it's to set the tone for the whole year. So if you start off the year right, yeah. then the whole year goes better. So that's why it's important to have the right beginning. The book is published by Kodish Press, so it's called The, the 40-Day Challenge. We're looking forward to your next book coming out. By the way, I know you have a lot of singles at MJE. I'm surprised you didn't say 40 represents 40 days before one is born. A heavenly voice comes mm. out and says such and such a person is destined to such and such a person. So it's all singles that are looking to get married. And you, I know you had a lot of marriages, MJE. That could be another 40-day experience. Oh, you know what? I just did a wedding. I just performed a wedding, and that was the idea I shared under the chuppah. I should absolutely be sharing that 40 you know, Arbim Yom Kodam Tavlad, that 40 days before even a fetus is formed, the Batskol, a heavenly voice, rings out and declares so-and-so for so-and-so. It's a really powerful teaching um, and, and, and the idea of transformation and because we transform ourselves by, you know, being with the right person and finding our soulmate. So I'm, I'm hoping this will help as well. We've had a lot of people over the years who've met at our high holiday services. Russian, I know that's not why people are coming necessarily. Uh, but that's an important thing. God spends all his free time after the splitting of the sea making matches, right? So what's wrong? They come to Rosh Hashanah's services, Yom Kippur's services, and meet their future husband or wife. That's great. And you know what's Isn't Yom Kippur a day of marriage in, in the Talmud time, the Talmudic times? Yeah, but you know what they did on Yom Kippur? This is the craziest thing. People come to Mincha on Yom Kippur and they're like, their eyes bulge out when they start listening to the Torah reading. It's all about their forbidden sexual relationships. And the rabbis ask, like, why are we reading about 
forbidden sexual relationships on Yom Kippur, Mincha afternoon, and some of the commentaries explained because of what was happening on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was one of the uh, the days of the year where men and women would get together and they would meet for the sake of trying to find their soulmate. And when I share that, every year on Yom Kippur, I share that, like, really, isn't that such a somber day to have, like, a social event? I said, listen, getting married, finding your soulmate, it's one of the holiest, important things in the world. There is no more appropriate day to find your soulmate than Yom Kippur. That's the holiest day of the year. That's when you're, you're at your best. That's a great time to meet someone. And that's the reason why the sages teach we read that um, part of the Torah to caution people as they're at that social event to act appropriately, to be with the right person, to find the appropriate soulmate. I think it's just a really interesting, uh, uh, you know, it sort of turns it on its head, what the, what, what the way we normally associate a social event and Yom Kippur. It's a beautiful, beautiful thought. Mm-hmm. Right, Mark Wiles, well, thank you for joining us. Look forward to having you back again. But- My honor and pleasure. Thank you. And I appreciate the... Uh, I appreciate the promotion and the um, and the conversation. I always love to talk to you, Zev. It's really an honor. Likewise. And we're going to be right back. Don't go away. Stay tuned. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk Line Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talk Line network and Talk Line's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the talklinenetwork.com.